0: All right, welcome to In Your Corner with Core Physical Therapy. My name is Scott McKenzie, and this podcast is uniquely positioned. And what I mean by that, we bring the medical industry, the medical professionals to you, and we talk about better pain management, we talk about rehab after surgery, we talk about improved mobility, and we talk about preventative care. And you know what else? We talk about so much more on this particular podcast. Now, thank you for joining this podcast. So let's get on with the interview. All right, welcome to In Your Corner with Core Physical Therapy. Once again, go out to corephysicaltherapy.com You got to find out more. That's got to be your first stop. It's a great location. It's a great website to start your journey on better health. They don't have the answers. Somebody at Core Physical Therapy does. Go to corephysicaltherapy.com. All right. This episode of In Your Corner, we're going to be talking about robotic. And you guys jump in if I mispronounce anything. don't. I'm not. I'm you not know, i I'm am not too proud about that. Robotic total hip, arthioplasty. That's what we're talking about on this conversation. Is that correct? And we've got, what, 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 Dr. Tim? You just sort of said it gave that sort of oh, maybe sort of semi-close. You nailed it. Yeah. All right. And we have a great, uh, definitely a great panel. Of course, you know, Dr. Rick. And then we have a gentleman by the name of uh, Levi uh, Widener. Did I get that right? You did. Oh, see, okay. I got Russell Carr. And then we've got Dr. Tim McGarry. Absolutely incredible panel. So before we get into this conversation and I hand it over to Dr. Rick, we just got to sort of find out who you guys are. And starting with you, Dr. Tim, give us a little background on who you are.
1: All righty, great. Uh, first of all, it's good to be here with you guys. Uh, my name is Dr. Tim McGarry. I'm an orthopedic surgeon. I practice uh, in Bristol, Virginia, not Bristol, Connecticut or Bristol, Tennessee. Oh, went right there, uh, man. I was ESPN I, in it. <laughs> I've been uh, I've been in practice uh, now, in private practice, going on my 31st year. I grew up in Roanoke, Virginia, so I'm a Virginia boy. Uh, then uh, subsequently went to uh, college at Hampton-Sydney College in Virginia. Mid school at UVA, and did my orthopedic training down in Wake Forest. And it's a pleasure being with you guys, and looking forward to spreading a little love about robotic total hips.
0: So I got to ask the question: uh, Who are you? Who are you aligned with? Is it uh, uh, which university are you aligned with? Like I watch football, and I'm che- uh, cheering for them. Who do you? Who do you? Well, I've like?
1: got the. I got UVA on the NIT game on my phone right below you guys, so if I look down, (laughs) you know
0: what I'm doing. (laughs) Very good. All right, Levi, give us a little background on who you are.
2: Absolutely. As always, it's good to be with you guys. Uh, My name is Levi. I'm actually Dr. McGarry's PA. I uh, graduated PA school from Lincoln Memorial University. I've always had a love and interest in orthopedics, and I'm very happy to be here. I actually grew up near Bristol uh, in Chilhoy, Virginia. You may not have ever heard of it before, but a little small town with a bunch of farms, but... I'm happy to be here and happy to talk.
0: All right. Last but not least, Russell, give us a background.
3: Hey there. I'm Russell Carr. I'm a uh, physical therapist with of Physical Therapy, and I'm currently working in uh, Bristol, Virginia. Uh, I went to University of Tennessee Health Science Center to get my doctorate in physical therapy. Uh, I'm currently an orthopedic uh, clinician specialist. Um, I'm dry needling certified and I'm working on getting, uh, credentialed in uh, vestibular and concussion, uh, concussion rehab. So.
0: All right. You're definitely, all of you are smarter than I am. By the way, I went to, and I was doing a project in Roanoke, Virginia. And then I went up into the, what's the mountain range right there? The Appalachia. What the, the? Yeah. Appalachia.
1: yeah Blue go. Ridge.
0: Uh, yeah. Blue Ridge. And I had, I, I, I had to be careful driving because there were so many deer. Oh, it's gorgeous, but so many deer.
3: Yeah, there's a lot dangerous. of a lot of deer behind uh, Dr. McGarry's building. There, like we see him every day. There you go,
0: man. Every yeah.
3: morning, They're everywhere.
0: You're deer, deer rich. All right, right, Dr. Rick, they are ready to go. Go. So
4: well, first of all, I want to thank everybody. Um, this is going to be a great topic, and and it really is timely, based on kind of the progression in orthopedics. AI, virtual reality, et cetera. And, and b- before we get started, Dr. McGarry, tell us kind of how you figured out you wanted to do robotic total hips and tell us the difference between conventional total hip replacements and robotic total hip replacements and why, why we, sh- we should be thinking more about um, GPS, making our cuts robotically, et cetera.
1: Sure. Well, uh, sort of getting into you know the sort of the reconstructive aspect of it, that's something I've always been interested in ever since I started my residency. Um, There's a study done probably in the 90s that somebody got a, did a big study and they just tried to determine what the most successful operation ever discovered by man was. It's kind of weird. It's hard to put a number on that. But basically what they did is they qu- tried to quantify pain relief, try to get people to get back to work. And the most successful operation ever invented by the human my, human spirit is total hip arthroplasty, and it is amazing. And you know, Levi, I'll tell you, you know, you see these folks come back. As opposed to total knees and stuff, total hips, those folks come back almost day one after surgery with a big difference. You know, they they notice that they got so much improvement. So it's something I've always been interested in doing. Um, you know, getting into robotics. I first got into robotic total knees. Um, that sort of evolved first because of the. The uh, techniques and the uh, software came in needs first. But I always thought HIPS was even going to be a better potential uh, application for robotics just because of the fact of making sure the cuts are perfect, making sure they're lining up. You know, you know, when they first started making cars and Model T cars, you know, they had these big lineups with, you know, 500 people on an assembly line. You'll never see that now because almost every car, there's no cars made now that doesn't have some kind of robotic input. So to say that something as uh, technical as orthopedic surgery can be improved by using robotics to help us make our cuts more accurately would be kind of foolish to say. So that's what really attracted me to it. Once I started doing it, you know, I could just see, you know, every x-ray I come in the office, I don't have to look at the x-rays anymore. I know exactly what they're going to look like. We know exactly what the cuts are going to be before the patient gets in the room. So it is really something revolutionary. And I I said to patients now, I don't think I'll ever do another total joint now. Um, without a robot,
4: that's awesome. So, so explain explain the difference. Obviously, the cuts are different. Are different. So, so what does a robot do? Everyone, everyone's thinking, you know, some robot standing there, and it's Dr. McGarry look alike and Levi look alike, and they're going to do the surgery.
1: How, how does this work with the cuts? Well, first of all, let me show you. I'll show you. Here's what here's what people think about uh, the robotics. <laughs> <laughs> that's my robot, and I'm just sitting there hanging out, drinking coffee. Well, you know, they're actually when they first came out, uh, they were basically. And, and general surgery has used robots that, in a long time in the past that are basically self-controlled. The physician actually sits at a control panel and runs uh, the robot. and And we tried to do something called Robo Doc that we tried to do that in orthopedics, and it really was sort of sort of you know damaging, and really was kind of had a lot of da- bad things that went along with it. So basically, what the robot now helps us to do is basically we still run all the instruments, we make all the cuts. But the robot is is we make the use the robot to plan the cuts, and then the robot aids us in making the cuts. We actually make all the cuts we're holding the instruments the whole time, but the robot is what actually kind of hold kind of guides us It's basically a thing called a we operate in basically what's called a haptic tunnel with stereotactic guidance, which sounds like a big mouthful but what that what that means is actually the robot helps to control. The cuts. So we plan out the cuts. We're making the cuts, but the robot is assisting us to making sure we stay in the parameters that we have planned out um, before the case. So basically the robot, we're using the robot to help us just make more accurate cuts is what we're doing. And, and you think that probably helps a number of outliers in terms of
4: your cuts or maybe getting a little off base or not not 100 percent understanding exactly your version, et cetera.
1: There's no question. You know, we did a big thing, you know, there's a big study that guys, some uh, Lewinick, the guys who came over the the safe zone for total hips. And basically, it'd be a huge study. And they came back and said, these accomplished um, total hip surgeons, they came back and they did a a, a controlled study to look at, you know, with a ruler and everything, figure out, you know, and even the most accomplished surgeons, about 38 to 47% of the time, they'd hit that safe zone. Now, there's a little disconnect there because if you look at studies now, and that's, that's the big study now, is, is it worth it? Is you know, it just a gimmick or is it really where we need to go? And the problem with that is, is there's no question I can show you studies that show, if I use a robot, I can make my cuts dead on. I can plan my cut at 45 degrees of inclination and 17 degrees of anniversary, and I can get within 0.1 degree of that. I can get that every time. Now, the problem is those patients I were doing for thousands of time before this time, even if I was a 30 47% of the time if I was right, those patients did great. You know, they really, those people are still having, you know, 25 year, 80% survivorship. You know, that's pretty amazing, 80% in 25 years just to guarantee for anybody, that's amazing. So is the, the question is now, I can make my x-rays look better in the short term. Now what I'm hoping and what I'm banking on is that in the long term, that's gonna, that's gonna pay out in the long term too. If these patients are gonna see the dividends down the road too that 80% at 25 years might go to 90 or 95%. So there's no question I can make my x-rays up front look better. What I'm banking on is down the road that's going to help out for the patients in the long run.
4: That's awesome. That's awesome. So kind of explain your work up. you know, how you utilize your CT scans. What are the templates like? Um, what do you have to do? So I'm going to ask you that question. I'm going to ask you the, uh, the obvious question. What, what does it say at time-wise? Because every, every study kind of discusses that. But tell us about your workup and your cuts and how it difference, dif- what the differences are from a conventional. And obviously, you've done a million conventional total hips. So, so, so give us the difference in, in, in your pre-op, your workup, and then kind of discuss time differential or time differential.
1: That's, that's a great question. And obviously, there is a, there's no question of the learning curve. You know, they say in the studies that your learning curve is anywhere from 20 to 40 cases. We've just done a little over 100 total knees now. And I bet you we got, it took us to get to about 25 before we got back to time neutral for total knees.
0: Now, that's
1: what most most studies shows that when you get past that learning curve, that you get back to basically time neutral. We haven't, we haven't sort of maxed out yet. You know, we've done, we're approaching 20, not, I haven't done 20 total hips yet. So we're still working on, you know, working on the nuts and bolts and kind of tweaking things to try to get down. So we're still a little bit, cost us a little bit extra time. My philosophy on that, though, is say it takes me 10 extra minutes in the OR. This is a total hip that's going to last this lady 25 years. You know, what's 10 minutes? Literally, what's 10 minutes? <laughs> so, you know, basically, we're going to turn that around. And like I said, I think in the long run, that's going to bear the dividends. But our total needs now, I guarantee you, we're down time neutral, even saving a few minutes, about two minutes less than what we did using our regular total knees before this point. So our workup, basically the only real workup difference, and Levi can speak to this a little bit more. He he does a lot of the pre-op workup for us in the office. The only real difference is getting the CT scan. Now what we do with the CT scan, we use that basically to marry that CT scan to our computer. And then as we put our arrays in, in the OR, we marry that to the anatomy. So basically what I can do is I can go in the OR and I can plan out on the computer exactly where my cuts are going to be. My cuts are then can be an accurate to be within the width of a half a sheet of paper that's how accurate i can make my cuts after i put them in the in the in the computer before the patient is even on the table so that that the biggest thing is getting the ct scan be able to use that to marry that with the uh with the computer in the or now i have had a little kickback recently with insurance companies paying for the ct scan the knees have gotten to the point now it's more routine that they'll pay for it but i've gotten some blowback recently with insurance companies saying, no listen You know, you don't need a CT scan. I said, well, I'm going to do a robot. I do need a CT scan. So it just takes a little extra time. Hopefully that'll work its way out too. Um, But like I said, as far as time in the OR, there's no question that uh, it does up front, there's a learning curve. There is. it is. It's like anything when you're doing surgery, you learn a new technique, it's going to take a little bit extra time. In my mind, again, I just think that the benefits down the road far outweigh the hassles of doing it. And to be honest with you, it's a lot of fun. It really is. It's like I said, it's, you know, if, if every other, every other, you know, if computers are being made this way, cards are being made this way. The general surgeons, for Pete's sake, are using this. If they can <laughs> use it, then we orthopedic surgeons
4: definitely can use it. So Levi, it sounds like you got to pass underneath the uh, basket here in terms of the workup. So why, why don't you uh, discuss the workup and, and, and what you see the patient, how do you work the patient up, what's your pre-op regimen, talk to us about the CT scan. And, and talk to us how that
2: correlates to conventional x-rays. Absolutely. I'd love to. So I'm going to take a step back you know, before, you know, we make the decision to go on for a patient to have a total hip replacement. Um, generally, before we, you know, get to that discussion, we've tried, you know, the other conservative managements at that point. You know, a patient comes in, they're generally having some hip pain in the groin area, and you know, we shoot an x-ray, we can see that they have some decreased joint space, maybe even some bone spurs, we try some other routes first, generally what we'll try and you know, we'll try um, oral anti-inflammatories. We can try some physical therapy and sometimes we can even try some topical anti-inflammatories and then we're leading up to an intra-articular steroid injection. Generally, when we move to the decision to do the you know, hip replacement, patients have tried all of these conservative treatments and they have failed them. They're still having the pain, they're still having the groin pain and limited hip range of motion. Once we get to that point, that's kind of where our pre-op workup begins. You know, we make the decision to paint the patient's ready to explore undergoing a total hip replacement. That's when we start the workup. So workup, you know, we've already had usually x-rays in office, but from then on, we usually get blood work, you know, just to make sure that everything looks good there. Sometimes we'll do an EKG and it, it's really patient specific on the other things. Like if a patient has kidney issues, we'll get in contact with their kidney doctor to kind of correlate that. But like Dr. McGarry said, the big biggest difference with the robotic side of things is we've added the CT scan. And for those out there who are kind of unfamiliar with what a CT scan is, it's like a little bit higher dose of an x-ray and it really does a good job at showing the bony structures and really mapping out actual hip joint. And the reason this is so pivotal, like Dr. Gary said to robotic surgery, is they use that and they combine it with the software of the robot to map out the joint. That way we know, like Dr. Gary said, exactly the amount of cuts we need to make, you know, the depth and things like that. And it's really important for the patient.
4: So, when you're doing your three, when you kind of explain the, the x-ray is kind of a two dimensional <clears throat> picture and kind of explain how the CT scan really gives you that third dimension. And you can really see, you know, not only AP and a lateral or an oblique or whatever, but you, but you certainly can bring into, in, in, into the picture, the 3d component of what the actual, uh, cut on the on, on the neck of the femur looks like. So so kind of explain the, the difference in the CT just, just a little bit.
2: Absolutely. So like you said, you know, the X-ray kind of more that two-dimensional doesn't really show the full picture. A CT scan, the reason it is important is like you said, it gets that three-dimensional picture. So when Dr. McGarry's actually in surgery, you know, mapping out the cuts he's going to make, it allows the, the tech in the room that's helping us with the robot to be able to move that hip round and show a full circle view kind of of that hip, which is really important because like I said, that shows us how deep you can to make the cuts and things like that. And it's really safer for the patient. That was excellent.
4: So Russ, Russ, I'm going to bring you in here for just a minute. So Dr. McGarry sees Mrs. Jones and she's in for her first visit. She has a little bit of, got some groin pain, some stiffness in her hip, trouble walking on up steps, says when she sits for a while, her hip gets stiff and he sends her over for a little bit of physical therapy. Walk us through physical, non-surgical physical therapy for somebody with mild to moderate degenerative arthritis of the hip. Kind of what do you tell them? What's your regimen home program kind of give us a whole story.
3: Sure. You got it. Um, so with a, you know, PT evaluation for mild to moderate, uh, degeneration of the hip joint. Uh, so, you know, first thing we do is we, we want to get some baseline measurements. Uh, so we can, you know, later on, uh, compare, um, you know, um, how her range of motion and strength may develop over time. Um, we work on, uh, trying to increase, uh, uh space between that joint by doing some joint mobilizations and, uh, tolerating certain movements and, uh, and so we go for that conservative treatment. Uh, teach her how to, you know, manage pain and inflammation, and that's the conservative route. Uh, and we maybe do that for about four to six weeks. And if there's, you know, no response to that, um, then you know we have her uh, follow up with uh, uh, the orthopedic surgeon. So
4: that's excellent. So, Doctor McGarry, explain your, you know, the the I don't do totals. I'm a sports guy, but the question that's always asked is the same. You know, what's the, how big is the incision? How long do you expect the total joint to last? Uh, where is the incision, etc. So, talk to about talk to us about your approach, the anterior approach, interlateral. What's your approach? How big is the incision? And and you talked about twenty five years. Um, kind of tell us about what our expectations in the future are in terms of longevity of a total hip and where they feel they feel on the femoral side the yes, acetabular side etc
1: okay great um well as far as the incisions go uh, that's always a big thing you know it used to be you know, basically i trained doing posterior approaches i went when the wave came about big big time anterior approaches i went over and did a couple hundred total hips with the anterior approach and you know basically it was all right but if i had to go back and revise the hip i did very difficult to revise through the anterior incision so basically, you know, one of the reasons that we went to anterior was basically, for, for one thing, people said it was a little bit less muscle sparing, feel less pain. I don't really see that. I think that uh, even the posterior approach now, the relatively small, smaller incision, midi incisions, mini incisions the, the, the pain is much improved. So I don't think that's a big deal. Obviously, one of the things we used to tout for anterior approach was that it was decreased risk of dislocation. Well, my point is now, if I can get that component, the femoral and tabric components, in, in exactly the right position, well, then I, right off the bat, it's well positioned, so I'm going to decrease the rate of, of dislocation. So basically, I use still a posterior approach. My response, everybody says the same thing, you know, how big's my incision? And my stock answer is, if you wear a size small jacket, you get a size small incision. You wear a size the 2XL, you get a size 2XL incision. It just depends. Like I said, my, my point is you got to make the decision to get the job done. At the end of the day, I can hide it in your b- bikini line if you want to. But, again, it's got to be big enough to get the decision done right. The whole goal in there is to get your your hip in there, put it in there in the perfect position to last you 25 and 30 years. So that being said, there's no question, especially with our total knees, we've seen that the size of our incision has decreased, oh, maybe two centimeters. Because, again, you don't have to do as much soft tissue dissection. The reason that is is because you don't have to have that much exposure because you're relying on the computer. Once you get to the point where your mind is is set around the site where you say, listen, I know where my cuts are going to be. I've got that haptic system that I know where that saw blade is. So I'm not that worried about the, uh, the MCL. I'm not so worried about the PCL. I'm not so worried about the uh, popliteal artery because I know exactly where that blade is going to be. So by doing that, there's less soft tissue dissection. There's less soft tissue dissection so the incisions are smaller, but the recovery time is, is accelerated. There's less soft tissue dissection, so people are bouncing back quicker. Now, as far as longevity, that's the whole thing. You know, going in this, you know, we got a tough... It's a tough bar to set because we're already saying that even the old way we used to do it, we're getting 80%, you know, 25 years survival, which is incredible. But like I said, I want to push that envelope. I want to see folks, you know, hopefully I won't see them back, but I want to see people back, you know, at 40 years. I want to say 35, 40. I want to be able to say even these young, you know, Gen X's, people that come in and say, now, listen, you know, I'm young, but I want to hug total hip and I want to get rid of the pain, but I still want to be active. I want to accommodate those guys. Take care of those pain. Let them go back doing stuff, but make give them a hip that's going to last. So all they have to do is one hip the rest of their life. That's the whole goal. Now, that might be a panacea, and that might not be possible, but I think the robot is a, is a gangbuster way to get us closer to that goal. I really do.
4: That's excellent. But, Levi, Dr. McGarry does the surgery. Um, you see the, the patient first post-op visit. Give us Walk us through the post-op. When do they start therapy? As you know, we're going to ask Russell here in a minute about the therapy. So when do they start therapy? What do you do with the incision? When can they get the incision wet? Kind of give us your 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 first post-op or your first two post-op visits.
2: Absolutely. So to be honest with you, they next day, we generally have them up, walking, and starting therapy. So that's what's so excellent about this robotic procedure. So we've been having patients going home the exact same day of the surgery. So then they'll start physical therapy the next day. And we usually have post-op appointments post-op appointments, excuse me, at two weeks and six weeks. So usually for the first two week period, they'll have, you know, the sutures that hold the incision together are um, absorbable and they'll dissolve. And they usually have a little battery powered bandage over top of it. They usually keep that on for the full two weeks. So when they come and see me, I take all that off, check the incision, make sure it looks good. And I'll put some even more sterile strips over top of it with some glue to kind of secure it even a little bit further. Um, at that point, we generally we generally don't have let our patients shower uh, about until they come back to see me. So for about two weeks, just to, because they have that bandage over top of it anyway, just keep it clean and dry. But generally at that point, I'll have patients go ahead and start showering, just no baths, because they just don't want it submerged underwater for a long period of time. It just increases the risk of, of infection. But generally when I see them back at two weeks, they've already started therapy, they're already up walking. Generally, another thing I can add of the pre-op uh, stuff that we do, you know, if we go ahead and get patients situated with assistive walking assisted devices, such as a cane or walker if they need so. Um, but usually when I see them back at two weeks, they're walking great. And I, most patients I've seen back, if not all, are saying they, their pain is tremendously increased. So at that two week appointment, you know, we put those strips over, they can start getting the incision a little bit more like wetter. And we continue therapy. I usually see him back in about, we usually continue therapy for another six to even eight weeks. When I see him back at six weeks, most, if not all of my patients are feeling, feeling great and feeling like they're walking a couple of years, 10, 15 years ago.
4: Awesome. So here's a million dollar question you always get asked. When can they drive?
2: That's a good question. I get it asked all the time. And I always say the same answer. Depends on which leg. <laughs> generally, if if it's, if it's that right, if it's that right hip, you know, we generally like to. I always err on the conservative side, have having wait about you know four to six weeks, you know, just to be safe. You know, you never know. Generally, I always tell everybody. I know you're the safe driver, but you gotta watch out for other people in front of you. And then if you get you know in an accident or something like that, or you have to slam down on your brake, you know, it could just her cause a little pain and discomfort. Um, but also, you know, if you were to be in an accident or something, the liability reasons, we want to keep you safe and protected. Awesome.
4: <clears throat> so, Russell, Doctor McGarry does his total hip. He's got him weight bearing either that day or the next day. Sends him to physical therapy. Kind of, kind of walk. Two questions. Walk us through the PT, and then when can they return to sport? And that, and and you're going to then tell me what sports they can return to. What's safe? What do you tell the patient? What can they return to and when?
3: So a uh, a, a PT evaluation consists of uh, patient education. Uh, again, getting more baseline measurements, um, and then you know very acutely they're uh, in discomfort. So um, uh, talking about managing their uh, discomfort and ways to manage their inflammation, and of course exercises. Um, and so, and, and I like to educate the patients on. I guess the timeframes for, for rehab, just to give them a kind of a good expectation of what to expect. Uh, and so I break it down into three phases usually. And, uh, you know, f- uh, the first phase is zero to six weeks and it's generally the, 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 protection phase. And so what we do is, um, we, um, mostly do range of motion stuff. We do, uh, we review the total hit protocol. So depending on uh, the the surgeon uh, on which approach they do we want to uh, review that with the patients uh, on those certain movements that they shouldn't uh, perform whether it was a posterior approach like Dr. McGarry does or if it's another uh, surgeon that referred to us in an anterior approach we may see those as well uh, education on uh, the incision so like Levi said earlier you know holding off on uh, you know submerging that incision and 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 taking showers and keeping that area, you know, rather, uh, dry. Cause, you know, uh, it could be a breeding ground for infection if you get it wet and water on it. And, uh, uh, day one, we're checking for, um, uh, any blood clots or signs of blood clots, um, any other signs of red flags, um, and then performing exercises and sending them home with an HEP. So that's, uh, that's, uh, day one. Um, and th- and then talking about, you know, the next phase, phase two, uh, and that would be considered the, I guess, strengthening phase. And, uh, so that can be between, you know, week six and 12 weeks. Uh, so you're taking your active ranges of motion, uh, and you're adding resistance bands, you're adding ankle cuffs, uh, to, to try to strengthen those muscles back to, you know, where they were, uh, maybe prehab and, uh, and, you know, doing some functional strengthening, maybe adding some balance stuff in as well. And then, uh, of course it depends on the patient. Uh, so phase three, you know, maybe they're slower recovery or maybe they want to get into maybe a higher active lifestyle, uh, then they could do like the advanced strengthening phase. And so that's just more strengthening, uh, uh, just, you know, with increased resistances. Um, and so to answer your question about, uh, returning to sport, um, you know, so the type of sport that they can usually return to for a typical total hip it, it's really just light impact activities uh so they can return to let's say hiking uh golf swimming bowling um i would say higher impact activities are out of the question um but i don't know with the the uh, uh robot total hip and you know how uh, uh good the alignments are i don't know if those may be out of the question anymore. I'm not sure. We need to see more of those before we can make a determination on that. But yeah, like higher impact stuff like, you know, football, basketball, volleyball, uh, heavy lifting. I would say that's kind of out of the question after uh, one of these procedures. But if they want to get back into that, I say talk to Doctor McGarry about that or the doctor that referred
4: them. So interesting that there was an there's a recent study that showed that actual jogging was not detrimental to orthoplasty uh total knees and total hips so um dr mcgarry i'll kind of kind of shoot that question towards you a little bit Um, what do you reckon obviously the question is going to be asked and they're going to ask you what can i go back to what's safe and when's that going to be uh what do you tell those patients
1: yeah, like I said, you know, the whole thing is it what we're seeing a lot more is, you know, the younger and younger people, you know, we do a bunch of sports medicine too, and you know, you see the same things. People come in and say, listen, you know, I used to be a college athlete, you know, I know I'm in my 40s now and my knees wearing now, but I still want to be active. And so we're getting that question much more common, which I think that robot just plays right into. We let people go back to, you know, I let people go back and play doubles, even some singles tennis. We got a guy now, we just did a robotic totally 90 years old, six weeks after surgery back skiing. Ooh. The, guy, the guy went in and said, listen, you know, I to ski beforehand, so he's skiing now. Um, And at 90, you know, whatever you want to do. But, you know, we let people, like I said, we've got to see people go back, you know, playing golf two weeks. I let people go back putting and chipping at two weeks after a total hip. Again, Russell's right. Anything like real high contact stuff, you know, like basketball. Um, You know, a lot of times we do in the, our bearing service, we didn't touch on, our bearing service now, we use a lot of ceramics which obviously that's probably the Cadillac bearing surface, especially if you're a younger person. It used to be that ceramic was very brittle. So I had seen some people go back, you know, younger people go out and play basketball, and come back in with just a shattered ceramic hip, which is a surgical disaster. But that that's changed too. We, our, our, our bearing techniques and our bearing surfaces are much better. So I, I've been a lot more liberal as far as definitely got back to jogging. I think that's not – I agree with that study. I think there's no question that's not going to be – uh, that detrimental. But again, somebody comes in and says, listen, I want to do my totally, then I want to go back and play rugby. I'm going to say, well, you need to see another doctor. Because um, <laughs> that's just not going to work out. And it's got to be reasonable. But I do think there's no question we've pushed the envelope, pushed the envelope as far as the techniques we're using, the bearing services, the rehab is a lot more aggressive. Um, so I think there's no question. That's another thing on the horizon. People are going to get back to doing more and more, you know, sort of normal activities after these replacements.
4: And another question I get asked, and you probably get asked as well is, hey, can you do both my hips at the same time or in one one surgical procedure? And what do you tell those folks?
1: Yeah, we used to do, uh, frequently used to do simultaneous bilateral total knees. But to be honest with you, I've never done simultaneous total hips. The problem with that is just the positioning. You know, you have to flip somebody over onto the previously operated hip. So to be honest with you, that's almost out of the question. The only time I would ever think about doing simultaneous or near simultaneous bilateral total hips as if somebody was just basically too sick to undergo two anesthetics, which begs the question, if they're that sick, are they really a good candidate for having bilateral simultaneous total hips? So, and that's pretty much out of the question. Total knees, you know, it's marginal. Total hips, almost out of the question. And and,
4: and in terms of the robotics and where the technology is going, what about revisions? I mean, is this going to help us on revisions? Is this going to make our cuts better once we determine why something's loosened? Um, how can we use a computer, i.e. the robot CT scans and really the pre-op to help plan out uh, revision arthroplasty?
1: Oh, I think that's, that's a great question. And that's a great field. We've you know um, Total knees are not approved for revisions. Now we've probably done 10 revisions now with the robot, sort of off-label. There's no question. You know, if I'm going in, I got somebody who's got, you know, who's got a total hip in there, Has been in there 25 years. They come in with a big old osteolysis in their acetabulum. Well, that's, that's the key. As far as I'm concerned, if I can get a CT scan beforehand, figure out where my good areas of bone are preoperatively, when I take things, that's the problem with when you take the components out, then that kind of messes up your anatomy. But basically, if I can go in there and I can plan provisionally where I can grab good bone, not only on the acetabular side, but also on the femoral side, I don't think there's no question that once that software comes out that's going to be a boon so i think there's a big big demand for that for both knees and hips
4: and, and and that that's and that really is excellent because i think that's you know that's kind of kind of the boogeyman for every total joint guy is these terrible revisions and i think you're 100% right um in terms of uh, other than post op instability precautions you know posterior instability precautions, et cetera, anterior instability for co- precautions for anterior approaches. What other complications do you see after robotic hip? I mean, is, is there anything that comes to mind that you'd be worried about or maybe different than a conventional total hip? And, and on the same side, what are we preventing by doing it robotically other than making a hip more stable?
1: Yeah, the, um, as far as complications that are sort of exclusive to total, you know, we do have to make for total hip... I haven't worked out eventually. I've worked out my total knees now. Where we're all through one same incision. I've worked out my arrays and got some special stuff through the companies now that I've worked out my arrays, so it's the exact same incision. Now, for the femur, I still haven't worked that out yet, and so we do have to make a separate small incision up over the iliac crest to put our arrays. So that does require an extra small, extra incision. Now, knock on wood, that had not been a big issue to date. Um, there's no question. Studies have said for robotic total hips that intraoperative complications – such as fractures or, you know, say you, you put your acetabular cup too deep, that obviously is, is much better because with that haptic system, there's no way I can put my acetabular cup too deep because the robot stops me. You know, I can put it in there, but I can't put it in too deep. So periprosthetic acetabular fractures or intraoperative periprosthetic femoral, femur fractures are much improved. Now, robotic total hips, it's got a little bit of ways to go as far as the femoral presentation. What I can do is use the robot now to figure out, I can figure out where my neck cut's gonna be so I can accommodate for offset. And I can also figure out my inclination for my cut, but it doesn't really, after that, it's all freehand as far as um, preparation of the the canal and everything. The only thing that helps me is that by the robot, I'm pretty sure now, but just by my robot, what size I'm gonna use, what you're gonna use. And that obviously is important now because we're doing a lot more of these in the outpatient setting in my ASC. So we don't want to have a whole lot of extra um, equipment and extra prosthesis hanging around there. So I know within one size up or one size down, that's all I'll ever use for total knees. Now for the last hundred total knees, I bet you there's been one case where I've had to change out or, or go up to a different poly. You know, I, I use a non-poly. I plan on my cuts. A non-poly goes in 99 times out of a hundred. Almost like put it in without even checking it now. Whereas before, you know, you can always make your cuts and then you kind of fudge a little bit. It's like, like that saying, a little putty, a little paint, make a surgeon what he ain't. You know, same kind of as You put a little extra poly in there, you get a little thick in there, you're a little loose. So you put a little extra poly in there to kind of shore it up a little bit. For the robotics, I know exactly it's going to be a nine poly, and ninety nine times out of hundred, it is.
4: That's excellent.
1: So, so talk to me a little bit about where this is
4: going. I mean, are there other techniques? ACLs? What? What? Where? Where, where is robotics going? Where is GPS analysis going? Three D. Uh,
1: CT scans pre-op. What where's the technology going? Well, I think from a sports medicine standpoint, there's no question. I think ACL is right for that. You know, if we can, there's always going back. You know, whether one single bundle, double bundle. You know, what's what's the best way to do it? Same kind of thing. If I can plan out pre-operative exactly where my ACL should be, and where I can figure out exactly where my femoral tunnel is going to be, where my tibial tunnel is going to be, my graft length. You know, same kind of thing. I can go and make those preparations, knowing before I operate on the patient exactly where I'm going to make them i am started working with some of the companies now working on uh, robotic stuff for total shoulders, which I think is going to be a boon also. If I can go in there and you know make my preparations, make my humeral preparations, make my glenoid preparations, again, the same kind of thing based on a haptic system, that's going to be a next generation for that, too. And then I still think there's no question in that uh, we need to work out a few little more of the bugs on sort of basic total hips, which will come you know, like anything. The more you use it, the more it's going to come. But I do still think we touched on before the revision field is going to be a big thing. It really is. I think that's going to be a boon on the horizon where we go in there instead of going in there and sort of thrashing around and getting in there, not having enough bone. And then what do you do intraoperatively? We're going to know what the bone status is going to be. So we can accommodate that beforehand. So that's going to be a big field. I really do. But sports medicine field. Yeah. I think there's no question. I think eventually too, it's the trauma field. You know, if we can do, like, CT re- three, 3D reconstructions as far as, you know, blown apart distal femurs or proximal humerus, as far as making those plans preoperatively as far as accommodating where we're going to put our hardware, you know, how we're going to do those kind of things to, to restore the joint line, joint spaces, I think there's no question it's an implication for that. The only problem with that is it's, you know, obviously you can't – I mean, no chance to get preoperative CT scans to be able to accommodate what you had before. So that's got some ways to go, but I think revisions – and tone shoulders are definitely right around the corner.
4: So, 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 I got to ask you this one more time. You got to give me that saying: putty and the paint and the, a little not. putty,
1: little paint make a surgeon what he ain't. It's actually I got that. For, it's a, a little putty, little paint makes a carpenter what he ain't. That's what. That's my my father used to say. But I can I can apply it to orthopedics.
4: <laughs> so, let's let's go through the panel real quick, and I, I want to ask you guys the same question. Russell, what do we forget? What what should we have talked about that we didn't talk about?
3: Um, We could talk about, uh, I guess, uh, prehab. So we could do like uh, one to two visits to kind of prepare the patient on what to expect on these. Because they have a lot of questions on, um, you know, the the robotic uh, uh, surgery. And, you know, they, they, they need some reinforcement and, and, you know, we need to cover things multiple times for it to kind of stick for, for, for folks. And so, uh, prehab is, uh, important in that aspect. Uh, we could review anatomy, discuss the timeframes again. Uh, and then we can, uh, of course, you know, stretch and, and exercise. So we prepare the joints and muscles, uh, to exercise, uh, before, uh, they have the the uh, their uh, surgery done, and uh, it, it usually takes about six weeks to actually develop uh, you know muscle strength. And as we all know, after surgeries, uh, you know your muscles can atrophy really quickly. Uh, so it'd be good to get them in early and and really prepare the joints and the muscles uh, for their for their new undertaking. So that's awesome. Thank you,
1: Dr. Rick. You Rick um, if, if I think I add one thing on that. Um, I think that's very important because, like I said, a lot of patients I have, you know, I trained back in the late 80s. We used to come in on Sunday afternoon. We'd admit like 20 patients. We'd operate on them Monday and Tuesday, and then we'd keep them in the hospital two weeks. Now you got to fight Medicare to keep people in the hospital overnight. Everybody, all total joints now are classified as outpatients, and I still get some blowback from patients that I come in and say, listen, you're going to go home the same day. I say, what? Going home the same day? I'm going to be in the hospital three days. And so it's really important from Russell's standpoint that he helps out a lot, you know, teaching these people and, and, and helping to reinforce up front that, you know, these people are not sick. You're not sick. You're not going to the hospital because you're sick. You're going to be made better. And so we want you to go home. Studies have shown, you know, the, I guess showed you studies as long as my arm that people do better home. So that prehab, I think, is a very important thing, just not, not only to reinforce the folks that they're going to do well if they go home, but also to give them a little arsenal of exercises so that when they go home, there's not that, that fear and, you know, question about grasping in the unknown. They know what they're expected to do. They know they're going to do fine. Um, so I think the prehab thing is a very important thing and getting more important. That's excellent. Levi, what did we forget?
2: One thing I, I did want to mention kind of like a, in the post-op period, you know, talked about what we can do, but what, what can't we do? You know, what's the restrictions, you know, after, after having a total hip replacement. One of the biggest things, you know, where we do the posterior approach specifically, one of the things I counsel patients time and time in the post-op meetings and and visits, is, you know, to try to avoid, you know, crossing their legs and then flexing their hip past 90 degrees. And some patients may may know this already, but some may not, you know, it's just a good precaution to do to prevent potentially that hip from popping out of place. Thank you.
4: Dr. McGarry, what, what do we forget? What should we have talked about that we didn't?
1: We touched everything. Anybody <laughs> watching this podcast knows more about total hip arthroplasty robots. They could go and do it themselves tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs> you guys were great. Thank you very much.
4: Yes. Thank well, you. We thank Please,
1: you, you. Appreciate it as always. Excellent job.
0: Yeah. I, I got a couple of follow on. I, I just want to make the panel aware that we've done a number of podcasts. We've covered a number of topics and i have to i have to give you the 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 trophy for a little putty and paint that's a winning little con. Uh, and then and then it, just footnoted
1: just footnoted
0: yeah uh, yeah and it, it's all there it's on my it's on my rocket book <laughs> notes Sorry. it's already it's there all forever. there nice and then,
1: then the the
0: concept of threshing around <laughs> I got oh my god I don't want to thrash around out there. And then finally, I sit there after we have these conversations, I'll I'll Google and I'll say, okay, here we are. We're talking about robotics hip. And I want to see what Google pops up. The one that pops up is this guy that looks like Dr. Xavier, but he's jacked. And he's he's talking about that MAKO robotic total hip. I said, okay, I see where this is going. Excellent job, guys. Excellent job. I really, that's that's Levi. That's Dr. Tim. That's Russell. They're part of this great panel. Thank you guys for being on In Your Corner.
4: Dr. McGarry's always been great. Thank you.
1: Oh, sorry, but thank you very much. Excellent job, as always.
0: All right, listeners, go out to uh, yeah corephysicaltherapy.com. Find out more. That's corephysicaltherapy.com. You need to correct me on that one, Russell. Please make that happen. <laughs> don't, don't hold back on, hey, uh... Anyway, go out to corephysicaltherapy.com. Great location, a great place to start on your journey to better health. All right, we are done. You guys were great.